0: Well, hi everyone. I'm Lori LeBay and welcome to the show today. I'm excited that you could join us. We're going to have a really interesting conversation talking about um, caregiving and how do you reach out to professionals and get help? Sounds easy, but it really, it really isn't. Um, I do also want to, before I introduce our guests, do a couple of shout outs and and first is a big welcome to new listeners. We're always getting them all around the world. So thanks for tuning in. If you're not familiar with us, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people all around the world at all different levels. We just don't think we can make sustainable change if we're not being inclusive. And if you liked our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. Now, I do have some big news to tell you. For years, I have been telling a story called Betty the Bald Chicken when I, I speak at conferences and so forth. And it, Betty the Bald Chicken teaches us about lessons that, that care. And we are now putting that into a book form. And we have pre-sales going right now. So you go to com, just click on the book tab. It's a it's a story that is illustrated for children, but I really think the kids are gonna be teaching the adults a lot. There's some questions in the back. It's just the, the illustrations are wonderful. And I think the storyline is really powerful. And it's not, a, it's not a story that is specific to dementia. It truly is about how we care. So if you're dealing with dementia, if you're dealing with a chronic illness, if you're dealing with a death, um, bullying, um, divorce, mental health, any time that you just don't quite feel like you fit in, Betty the Bald Chicken will be a great, great story. And it really teaches us how we can make choices in our life. I also want to mention on December 8th, I will be at Artist Senior Living in Woodbury. And uh, the presentation is going to be about family gatherings and events and traveling and how the heck do you do all that stuff and um, replace sometimes some really stressful times with joy? We're to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner, and then we're going to be right back.
2: Adapt it.
0: Okay, so we are back and I finally get to introduce you to our guest today. We are going to be talking with Jody K. Venusa. And she is a social worker and a seasoned inpatient discharge planner. And let me tell you, that is quite the job. She has been certified as a social worker a, in care management, in advanced care planning, and also in facilitation. She has experience dealing with residents and families in nursing home settings, and she is just a wealth of knowledge, and you're just going to love her personality style. She's just so kind and easy to talk to, and you know she loves what she does, and it shows, and she is one of those people that would be really easy to talk to when you're in crisis because she gets it, and she has a lot of ideas how to move through it. And so I'm just really thrilled that she's going to be our guest today. I, I know you're going to get a lot of great information in this show. And please um, don't be shy about sharing that information. Well, Joni, I'm so excited to have you on the show today talking about leveraging professionals, letting them into your life to to help help you. And I know from being a care partner, that's not always an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. We're all screaming, we want help, but then it's like, well, maybe, maybe not. That's going to be some work. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to be with us. Um, Before we get into our line of questions, I always like to ask if you've been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends.
3: Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for having me today. It's my pleasure. You know, anytime I get a chance just to get the word out, I, I love doing so. So thank you. So as far as my own family, my grandfather um, did have dementia. And it was interesting how I personally handled that situation. I was extremely close with my grandfather, as were my kids. They were his great grandfather. In fact, we lived very close to each other and they saw each other every day. As his Alzheimer's progressed. I really backed out and that's because I was at a stage in my life that I didn't know how to deal with it. It it scared me, so I just backed away. And I did that, I I know why I did it. I did it to protect my memory of him. I wasn't mature enough as, as a woman to really know how to handle it. So I did the best I could. And I think that's why this whole topic is, is such a passion of mine. Do I wish I could have done things differently? Maybe I could say that, but at the same time, I did the best I could in the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you just disclosing that will to our listeners, give them a little idea of why maybe some people have stepped back. Mm-hmm. you know, because they just can't emotionally grasp that. Mm-hmm. And uh, even with, with my folks, you know, and they were, <clears throat> my, you know, my mom was in her 60s. Well, they both were. And, you know, dad had um, brain cancer. Mom had dementia. And their, some of their friends pulled away. And it wasn't because they weren't mature. It was because they didn't want to lose what was. And I kind of think, and tell me if if you think this, that it was a little too close to, gosh, if that can happen to Dean and Dorothy, that could happen to us.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, fear does all kinds of crazy things to our mindset and our mm-hmm. thought process. Yep. And, and sometimes backing away is the best coping mechanism that we have.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. You have to maintain sanity and sometimes it makes other family members crazy because they don't understand why mm-hmm. that isn't, can really cause a rift and stuff. So I think it's important for people to, to talk about this stuff, but it's hard when people don't even know why they're doing it sometimes. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think I did know though, when, when I was doing it, I did, I think I did make that conscious decision mm-hmm. to, to back away because I wanted to keep grandpa's wonderful memory in my heart and in my mind. Mm-hmm. So, um, didn't know, that I did it because I was afraid.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the journey of a caregiver. um, And just, you know, how does it even start? You know, because I, uh, I've heard over and over from even large organizations like AARP doing studies and surveys going, people don't even recognize themselves as a caregiver. So how do you know when the heck the
3: journey starts? Yeah, well, (laughs) <laughs> that's 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 a loaded question <laughs> So, how much time do we have <laughs> yeah, we've got an hour <laughs> so you know caregiving it the, the journey can start the minute you start to do things for someone else mm-hmm. for that elderly person maybe you're taking over one meal a week That could be the start of your caregiving journey. Um, Maybe maybe you are getting the mail for that person, getting some groceries, simple activities of daily living. Once you start that process, gosh, give yourself a pat on the back. You're a caregiver. Yep. But on the other hand, the caregiving journey can start out quite traumatically. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, uh, I was a hospital discharge planner for 15 plus years working on the ortho neuro units for all that time. So, uh, lots of, uh, folks with Alzheimer's dementia, uh, coming in with a hip fracture mm-hmm. and they were living on their own because, you know, people can live on their own mm-hmm. when, when they have the disease, but now all of a sudden they're in the hospital and they have hospital psychosis and things are all chaotic and that that daughter or that son is now having to decide what to do and take that that person home if they're able to go home. And that's how caregiving starts right there. I mean, that that could be quite traumatic.
0: Yeah, I you know, I had a background in real estate for 25 years and I would see that all the time. People would be selling the family home because crisis hit yep. and um you know, it could be the hospital. It could be a lot of different, different aspects there. Um, But everyone is in turmoil. And typically I have found no one's investigated a dang thing um, thinking that this could happen. And I think it's in everybody's mind, but I know like with my own folks, I, I played this stupid game with myself and said, old is 10 years older than my folks, because then I never had to deal with it. And then that worked really well until, you know, it didn't, and then mm-hmm. it was like, "How would I get in the middle of this?" And I know better. I, you know, I've seen this. I teach this. I talk about it, and yet, I still pushed it out. You know, yeah. um, and I think that that's really common. And I hear that from a lot of professionals themselves too. Uh, I'm not, I'm not the only only professional out there that's done that. But it is. It's just different when it knocks at your door. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with people? I guess, how do we change the perception? Because, you know, if you're bringing over a meal for mom or you're, you're cleaning or you grocery shop and it's just something, you know, a son or a daughter or a friend or a spouse would do. And when, when does it become different? I mean, because I think that's how we look at it. Like, sure. I can do that for you. And then, I don't ever think that there's a real conscious change of mindset until, until you're really struggling and exhausted going, Oh, this is a lot to squeeze into a day.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You really hit on something important there, Lori. Um, A lot of caregivers do kind of get eased into it and Mm -hmm. they don't realize uh, what is happening in their own daily lives. Um, I have um, a slide that I do when I give one of my presentations um, that you know that you're you're heading toward caregiver burnout if. And one of the ifs is are you spending all of your days off and vacation days having to care for that elderly person in your life? Mm-hmm. Because if you're having to give up all of your free time for that person, You really should start to think about doing things a little differently or maybe having a couple of plans in place um, in the event you're not there.
0: When you talk about, you know, giving up, you know, like the vacation time and, and just, or just being able to sleep without the phone ringing or having, and sometimes I think it's that angst of the phone ringing, like who's it, what's it going to be now Mm -hmm. Is a, is a real big kind of red flag. Things have changed. You're at a different level mm-hmm. type deal, but I I still don't think people process that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of times when we're thrown into that caregiver role, and everything progresses very slowly, we don't stop as caregivers to really consider where is that line in the sand where it's not going to work anymore. And I kind of I'm going to say. I give myself like, um, uh, kudos sort of that. I really give caregivers permission to say and admit this isn't working. Mm
2: -hmm. I need
3: some help. This, this, something's got to give, something's got to change. So I I think just really having in your mind as, as early on, as you can, where is that line in the sand? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be When my phone is ringing out of control, is it going to be when it's time for mom to move in with me? Is it going to be when I have to change her depends? I mean, it's going to be different. That's a different answer for every caregiver.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the way we're set up in society, there's an expectation you're supposed to handle this. And I think nowadays too, you know, there's the financial crunch of pulling in help. Um, because there's not like volunteers waiting in the wings going, Oh, I can handle that. I, you know, I can help you with that. And there's, there's not as much respite care or adult daycare or even home care. Um, You know, they're, they're doing a good job trying to keep up, but Mm -hmm. I, you know, I hear from clients, sometimes it might be three to six weeks before they can find a staff person to come out. And it didn't used to be that way. Right. And so, it is important to think about those things. And I think also kind of pull that team together early on things are changing. And what does that mean? And how is that going to affect you? But how is that going to affect them as well? I, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of always putting the person first that you're caring for. And I think sometimes sometimes, and I, and there might be people out there that would argue with me, but some families don't really care about what is in the best interest necessarily of the person. They just have to dump the load off them because they can't deal with it. Do you see that?
3: Yeah, yeah, I do at times. Um, and that's really unfortunate. Um, but I would like to go back. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more with you by, you know, putting that, that, that person first. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'd like to add to that, it's so important to make sure as a caregiver that you recognize how important it is to put your own oxygen mask on first. So you can give that care that you so desire to give to that elderly person
0: Yeah.
3: Um, without that self-care for yourself, without the friends and support around you, things can go downhill quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And not in a not in a good way either. I I know for me, I just, I was a doer, you know, so I just kind of kept doing and I would add to my list and I would never take anything off. Like there were probably other things Mm. in my life I could have adjusted, but I, I didn't, you know, I just, I don't know why I never thought, I never thought of long-term, you know, I was just in that day in, day out. And then pretty soon it's just, I'm in the moment in and out because things are going so fast and there's so many things to do. And, you know, I, I knew I was exhausted. I knew I was getting a little snappier and crankier, um, but I didn't know how to deal with it. And, you know, for me, it was meeting uh, my girlfriends for coffee who never gave up on me. Yeah. And and that was a huge, huge, um, gosh, it was just such a life lesson for me on multiple levels. I didn't realize that I, I didn't realize consciously that I wasn't taking myself into account because I was so busy being a wife and a mom and a, you know, care partner friend, you know, doing my work and volunteer stuff. I mean, the list just kind of kept going and I was just doing for everyone else. And I, I kind of gave up who I was, not even knowing that I was doing that um, until I was really into it. And, you know, when I went to have coffee with my friends, I, I finally agreed and I agreed in kind of a snotty way. They would call me every week and I just didn't have time in my schedule. And I finally told them, I'll give you 10 minutes. You know, I'll come in like roll the red carpet out. Here she comes, you know, and it, I ended up seeing two hours and we laughed and we cried and it wasn't until I met with them that i really realized how empty my soul was mm-hmm. and that was that was really eye opening
1: mm-hmm. because you
0: think you're maintaining you you think you're you know everyone's telling you you're doing a good job and how are you doing it all and you're kind of huffing and puffing i guess unconsciously um, you know pushing through doing that
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then when i was able to exhale with my friends it was like, oh my gosh, I am like one deflated balloon, and they kind of blew me back up so I could go back out. Yeah, but that really put into perspective for me how out of balance I was. Yep, and I didn't recognize it, and I, I, I should have. I have the skill set to do that, but looking in the mirror sometimes isn't easy
3: mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, you know, you you said quite a bit in that, in that last little couple of minutes there, you know, the, the minute that, that, that first ankle that you have that I think the caregiver process is beginning. And now what am I going to do? And you're kind of like really getting into it. That is the time right then and there is, is to gather your support system. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear all the time. I have no one I have, you know, everyone has left because I've been so involved in my caregiving Gosh, you know, it is so critical to keep a support group around you. And if you do get caught in that trap where you you don't have anyone, then go seek some help. Go mm-hmm. seek a professional. Um, I suggest a caregiver coach. Uh, I think that those a caregiver coaches is, is is priceless. Uh, it's, it's going to be an awesome way to take care of you. And in turn, you're going to be able to give better care to the one that you're caring for.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people don't even know what a caregiver coach does. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to explain
3: that a little bit? Well sure I can. So I'm I'm somewhat of a caregiver coach but I don't advertise that. I just kind of coach the families along in in the process when they choose to hire me. But a caregiver coach is someone who is really going to hear your issues, hear your concerns and they're going to help you think through it. The difference in my mind between a caregiver coach and a therapist is a therapist is going to listen And they're going to um, tell you, you know, say, tell me more about that. Let's talk more about that. Where a caregiver coach is going to hear you out. And then they're going to cause you to make some changes. They're going to bring it. Bottom line is they're not afraid to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need that professional to really be able to hear our concerns objectively and say, now, wait a minute. Did you realize this is what you're saying?
0: Yeah and, and oh yeah a lot of times we have no idea what's coming out of our mouth. Yeah. You know um yeah it it is it is interesting because people get so overwhelmed and stressed and you know they're a lot of times sleep deprived you know um they call it caregiver burnout or compassion you know fatigue how do you define the difference between those or do you mush them all together
3: no i don't <laughs> not at all no so i am going to go way back to the the start of caregiving mm-hmm. and if you start caregiving out of the sense of obligation take note of that mm-hmm. maybe keep a little journal and and write down some of the feelings that you have so obligation if it's not really understood mm-hmm. can turn ugly in a matter of t- you know time, and it doesn't even have to take a lot of time, but when you have that obligation feeling, you feel like you're stuck. Yep. And that's not a good place to be. So if you're already feeling kind of like you're stuck a little bit, then you can start to really evolve into some feelings of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. And overwhelm, when it's defined, is simply a strong emotional impact. Something is going to cause you to feel overwhelmed. Something happening quickly that causes a strong emotional impact. It could be, oh, we could use a thousand examples. Um, maybe um um mom doesn't want to take her pills today,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and you're you're fed up with it. <laughs> you know what? I you you all of a sudden you're just I just, I can't do this another day. Like it's just driving me nuts right there. That is a sense of overwhelm. Mm -hmm. Overwhelm then if it's not dealt with, and we'll come back to how to deal with it, but overwhelm, if it's not dealt with is going to manifest into your subconscious mind stress Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and stress can then lead into caregiver burnout. And then once caregiver burnout happens, you can kind of bounce back and forth between compassion fatigue and caregiver burnout. Mm -hmm. Compassion fatigue um, is more of um, that that sometimes comes after caregiver burnout Mm -hmm. um, because you kind of feel a little bit of regret. And why did I feel that way? And you're still stressed and you're still overwhelmed and you're still burned out, but you try to have a little bit more compassion and you're just simply worn out. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to go back, if it's okay, um, and talk about that overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And this really works for any situation. But when we really bring it to the caregiver um, platform, it's amazing how well this works. So let's just use for the sake of conversation, the example of mom is not taking her pills today, and you and you're overwhelmed. So. What what I want you to do is recognize that ah that's overwhelm right there because I'm feeling a sudden emotional impact.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, identify it is number one. Ah, I've got overwhelm. Now you have a choice in how you're going to deal with that overwhelm, and how you choose to deal with it is going to determine whether or not you're going to feel stress or if you're going to feel some relief. So a lot of people. Um, in dealing with overwhelm, they just say, Oh man, I shouldn't be feeling this way. Like, I I I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I should be more compassionate. You know, mom's got Alzheimer's, and and I should just understand. Well, you know, when you have that attitude, you're being such a judge to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're judging your emotions and you're judging your thinking. And even the word judge is kind of harsh. Mm -hmm. So recognize what your thoughts are once you identify that overwhelm.
0: Well, that's a really good point because I think that inner critic plays in our minds. And that is one thing I hear from from, uh, care partners, caregivers, carers, whatever term you want to use, where they just feel so guilty and they, they keep replaying something over in their head instead of letting it go and going on to the next moment, knowing that they could do better. And I, I don't, I don't think I know one person who hasn't, who hasn't stated that that's been part of their journey.
3: Yeah. Let me let you in on a little secret. Mm-hmm. So almost a hundred percent of the time, I, I generally say all the time, but I'll give you a little bit of leeway. Mm-hmm. Anytime you use or think the words should or shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I want you to know this. Those words are not facts. Mm-hmm. I should, I shouldn't. That's not a fact. It's only a perception. Mm-hmm. So every time you you think the word I should, change that into, oh, I can. Mm-hmm. It's so different. It's such yeah. a different thought.
0: It really is. I, I remember going on a uh, a retreat, and a woman said she wanted to buy uh, a word from me, and I'm like, "What?" And she said, "Shoulda, woulda, coulda," and I, I think there was another one there. And she says, "I'll I'll give you I'll give you a dime for you not to use that word again," and I thought that was just brilliant. And. Yeah. And she said, there's one rule, when I give you this dime, you can't, you can't use it. It's not part of your vocabulary anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, you're spending too much time thinking about what, what could have been, and you're beating yourself up. And if you get rid of that, you're going to be able to move through faster. You're going to be able to find different solutions and stuff.
3: That's so good.
0: Yeah. yeah, I thought it was really quite brilliant. I had never, I had never heard that before, but again, it it brought it to the forefront and made me consciously look at it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I loved what you said, you know, it's not fact, it's a perception. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get tied in and in loop in our perceptions and it's not reality. Mm-hmm. And, and we're paying the price of this fantasy you know, story that's going on in our head, instead of being able to move through things. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I kind of cut you off there when no, you no, were no. talking about stress and, and relief, you know, with I Dean.
3: Yeah. So we can choose to be like that judge mm-hmm. and say, I should have, I could have, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have, mm-hmm. or you can choose to be compassionate to yourself and I like to explain that as like being a compassionate scientist,
1: mm-hmm.
3: exploring your thought, exploring what you're acknowledging. I'm feeling overwhelmed.
1: Mm-hmm. So
3: a scientist, if you really dig into what a scientist is, they just keep trying new ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Edison, it took him over 10,000 times to get that light bulb to work. <laughs> yep. And he didn't say, oh, I should have done this. What he says or what he said is you know what it took 10,000 tries mm-hmm. to find the light bulb see it's it's such a different way of thinking so when you feel that sense of overwhelm about your mom not taking her pills and you feel that say huh i wonder why i'm feeling that way yeah and pausing and just really thinking what could i be thinking differently what can i do differently Instead of getting that angst and that anger and all that emotion all wrapped up in a ball, I wonder why mom doesn't want to take her pills. I wonder what might be causing this. Of course, it's the dementia, but let's look into it. Let's explore. So you can choose to be a judge and get caught up in all those negative emotions, or you can be compassionate to yourself and explore other options and other ways to deal with it. Yeah, one
0: of the things through my journey, I've I've tried to, um, and I've done a pretty good job, but I've kind of kicked the word failure out or perfect out of my vocabulary mm-hmm. because I think when you know we 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 think this should be easy, we've got it down, it should be perfect, and and then when it's not, then we say I failed, and uh, again it's that whole judgment thing in there. But when I I've reframed. Um, those two words, and I don't see it as failure. I try to not j- judge that, though. I mean, I, my God, I'm human. I still slip up. Um, but that has made a huge, huge difference. Mm-hmm. And I always say, well, you know, build the toolkit, you know, try different things because, especially with dementia, what works one moment might not work the next. And so, why are you beating yourself up when you already know that as a fact? That's just part of the disease process. But I think a lot of times when you're new at it, you don't necessarily know that mm-hmm. or you think, you know, better because I know my person and of course this should work. And, and, you know, those types of things come into play, I think at times too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it works when you're being that compassionate scientist and you're trying mm-hmm. to really understand. Sometimes mm-hmm. it helps if you can just wrap your brain around the thought. She just wants to be loved. Yeah. Yeah and just keep saying that over and over in your mind.
0: Yeah, it really is about how we're making them feel. And I think when, and again, I'm speaking from, from my own experience, but I think so often we, we turn what we're doing into a task, like in the beginning, oh, you don't mind making dinner and doing this. And, you know, it's kind of fun and it, it you're engaged and you get to see each other. And then pretty soon it's, it's a little bit more than what you expected. It's a little harder to squeeze in. Mm -hmm. And then you start looking at it as a task. And the second you start looking at it as a task. um, And and again, a lot of times I don't even think we identify it as that. But when it when it happens, for me, anyways, I pulled out of the relationship, I was just too focused on the task. And I wasn't focused on How was I making my mom or dad feel? And then when I pulled back into that being the priority, everything changed for them Mm -hmm. and for me. So true. And it was, uh, it was like, why is no one talking about this? I mean, to me, that is just such a huge, huge Mm -hmm. key, but, Mm -hmm. you know, disease and illness and and injuries and things like that can, they can just take over Mm -hmm. and You know, I always tell people, you know, don't let dementia take away your relationship. And yet I know for myself for a while it did, Mm -hmm. you know, but that was a lesson I learned to be able to tell other people, don't, don't be like me, you know, throughout the whole process (laughs) with that. So it's, um, that relationship piece, I think is really important that self-care piece that just time to think. What's going on, you mm-hmm. know, with me as as a person? You know, what have I done this week or this month? And pretty soon it turns into a quarter and a year for myself. And when you keep coming up with a big old zero, wow, you got a problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um, excuse my language, but shit's gonna hit the fan if you want it to or not, exactly. sooner or later. And yeah, yeah. and now not only is your loved one in crisis and need help, but you're going to end up in mm-hmm. crisis as well, one way or the other.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, sometimes we don't think about this and, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about this either. And that is, you know what, when a caregiver does get caught mm-hmm. in burnout, we're, we're going to take it to the max here all the way to burnout because they're not dealing with the overwhelm and stress. Yep are they really being a good caregiver? Are they really being effective as a caregiver?
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And what what damage is happening to them and emotionally to the one they're caring for? I guess that's why I harp so much on identifying that overwhelm and learning how to deal with that from the Mm get-go.
1: Because
3: it can save a whole lot of heartache and hurt and pain.
0: Well, and, I, you know, I have I have seen and, and talked with many people where, again, that realization wasn't made until they had a heart attack, you know, and I, I can't tell you how many times people have landed in the hospital. And I'm sure you've seen it a zillion times as well. I mean, there's statistics out there. I don't know them offhand, but, you know, it's pretty high where the, the care partner will pass you know, um, or become even more severely, uh, incapacitated than the one they're caring for. And they're working so hard to care for them because they love them. And yet, you know, and they think about, I know, I know consciously and unconsciously, they think about, well, what would happen if something would happen to me, but then they kind of bulldoze it over and go, well, no, this just has to be done. And then all of a sudden um, when you're thinking there's no one there to help you, and now you're landed in the hospital, you see, not always, but many times, other people stepping up to help mm-hmm. that you didn't, you didn't know were there. And in my case, I would say, I I have to take some of the responsibility. I didn't let them in yeah. because I looked like I had everything under control, and you know, I, I looked like I didn't need help. And I wasn't, um, I wasn't opening the door because, you know, I got it handled. It's okay. Yeah,
3: that's so interesting. So interesting. You know, what would make that process so much easier for caregivers Mm -hmm. is learning how to, I'm going to use the word delegate a little bit Mm -hmm. um, early on.
0: Oh, definitely.
3: If you can do it, wonderful. But if you can delegate it, wow that's that's even better because that's a practice that you're learning for the future yep yep and what i recommend and and probably um you've heard of this before is have a list of tasks things that people could do if they ask and then if if they say hey um hey lori what well, how can i help you today what what can i do for you you can say oh well i have a list why don't you choose one yep and then you're not putting something on them that they don't want to do. And mm-hmm. you're giving them the power to choose something that fits them. I like that.
0: Well, and I think it's really important what fits them. Cause I think a lot of times in families, people get assigned things that they're not comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. So it could be, so you know, true. it could be a son or a daughter, you know, now, now bathing and doing grooming. It might be somebody in charge of financing that just doesn't want that responsibility And when you don't want it, when you're not comfortable with it, it's not going to be done in a good fashion that's comfortable for who you're caring for. Right. And there's going to be more bumps in the road. And I think sometimes we get into, you know, the primary um, care partner decides who's going to get what instead of really having the conversation of who's going to do what well. And and letting those personalities of family and friends play their, play their role. I know I got stuck with my own family. Um, and my listeners have heard me say this before where, um, you know, when my dad died, we were talking about my mom and, you know, are you going to come around more? Because they really weren't around more. And they're like, well, you don't really let us in. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can come anytime. And they're like, well, you're kind of a control freak. So and I, and i'm like no i'm organized you know and so we had this different view so interesting of, of how how i was and the control freak of course pushes people away and says you got to do it my way and they wanted to they wanted their relationship to be their relationship and they felt i'm assuming that i was going to try to make them be a clone of me and i wasn't consciously trying to do that but i could see I could see how they would think that you know or feel that Um, but I also and I said well I'll take some responsibility I said but I'm not taking it all (laughs) because you could have flapped your lips earlier we could have had a discussion (laughs) on all of this you know and and so it's just really interesting because our perceptions are very very different and I, I you know I take the example of you know well, you know, come in and make a meal with mom or dad or something. And they, they both, my brothers cook, it wouldn't have been a difficult thing to do. It didn't have to even be anything fancy. And, and then, you know, maybe they'd come over with McDonald's and, and I probably did roll my eyes or something like that at it just because it was quicker, you know, that, that whole piece. And it wasn't quicker because they were going to be chatting more. It was going to be, they were going to be in and out more. And I was judging that. Mm-hmm. And that really wasn't right of me to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, that
3: That's so interesting because that goes all the way back to the beginning of our conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. We, we don't know how that other family member is, is really dealing with this whole process inside of their heart and inside of their mind. Yep. That's, that's, that's really good. And many times
0: there's, you know, like in my case, they really weren't willing to talk about it. They're you know, the, my brothers weren't really touchy feely and emotional on all of this stuff. I mean, you could read it in them, but they really didn't want to discuss yeah. it yeah. per se. And so I, you know, the number one, um, question I get in kind of complaints at every single conference I go to when it's families is how do I change my siblings? How do I get them to help? And, you know, I said, for me, when when I let go of trying to pull them in, I felt a lot more freedom. I could just focus on what I needed to do and how I wanted to care. And, uh, you know, those are their choices and they're going to have to live with them. Mm -hmm. But that was a, and I don't know if you've run in this with, with families, but Oh my gosh, what a, um, what a release of a burden I was carrying, Mm -hmm. trying to teach them this lesson, trying to, I I was trying to invite them in and they're seeing me pushing them away going, she's reeling us in a little too hard here, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and I, I didn't see that. But when I, when I finally said, it's not my job to change them, they're, they're, they're their own person. They have their own personalities mm-hmm. and they have a right to have their relationship with my folks, as long as it's not hurting them. And, um, but yet I still, I, I will say on a selfish side, I still wanted them to be respectful that as a primary caregiver, you really can't interfere a whole heck of a lot with my schedule. Cause it's really tight too. Sure. So That had to be taken into consideration and not that I couldn't bend on it, But, um, yeah, there's just so, it's hard to get families to start a conversation. And I guess that's probably why people like you and mediators are out there Yeah, (laughs) because sometimes it gets pretty nasty.
3: You know, what thought is coming up to my, into my mind right now is, you know, caregiving is really a huge ordeal because we have to keep caring for ourselves that self-care we're caring for that person that needs the care we're also just like you were in that situation you were the um the the gate uh gatekeeper of everyone else and trying to keep your brothers um involved I mean it's more than just cooking and cleaning for your elderly person it's it's like protecting the whole fort so to speak
0: yeah. Well, and it's protecting the family and trying to still have, you know, because when the dynamics of the parents change, the family dynamics change. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I was trying so hard to hold that together while they were still alive mm-hmm. and it pretty much fell apart once they passed. And it's like, would that have been bad to happen earlier? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I, I wanted to protect that for my folks because family was so important to them to have right. everybody around. And, and you know, we're just not as close as we used to be. Um, and I hear that from a lot of families, other families, it brings them really close mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is one of the number one mistakes that that caregivers make?
3: Yeah, I, I know
0: <laughs> we make a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's okay because we're all, you know what, there's no real manual to do this. There's, there's so many different ways to do it, but I'm just going to be honest and say in my mind, the biggest mistake that caregivers make um, from, from my viewpoint is waiting too long to make a care plan change. If something's not working, you know, it's, it's like um, trying to keep doing something that that's not working. It's, it's when you wait too long. Mm -hmm. it makes everything worse. So many more options are taken away. So many more things that could have been done are taken away. So I think just really knowing in your mind and knowing in your heart that where is that line in the sand when we really have to make a change, whether that means bringing in outside care, whether that means Um, a senior living community, community, long term care, hospice, whatever that is,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. you
3: know, by waiting too long, you do, you take away so many options.
0: That's, that's very true.
3: That really breaks my heart.
0: And it increases the stress level too, Mm -hmm. because now you're, you're kind of pressure cooker and it's, and you can't, I don't know. I think a lot of people just can't even process when it, when it gets to that level, because it's just so overwhelming, um, it's so overwhelming to do. And, and a lot of times families don't agree on those decisions, but Mm -hmm. I think to me, one of the biggest problems is most families don't have a plan to begin with. They're just kind of being a daughter, a son or a spouse doing their thing, having their relationship. And then it's really, it's just not recognized. And it's not formalized. There's nothing really written down. And I think having it in writing is helpful, even if it's just one person for themselves, you know, of, you know, and maybe having a, you know, a two-sided list in or three-sided, one for the person you're caring for, one for yourself, and then one for yeah. outsiders in terms of, you know, what are what are my goals with all of this and what's working and what's not.
3: You know, I had a conversation with with someone today. It's so interesting that that conversation happened today.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And she came to me and said, What am I gonna do if my mom passes before my dad because she cares for him and he's on dialysis three times a week and all of us kids are working? And what are we gonna do? And I said, I said, let's let's talk about the what ifs. Yep. I said, That's why you need a plan. You need a plan now while all of you are still here and you're still functional and everything is working. Mm -hmm. But how am I going to do that if they refuse to talk about those kinds of issues? I said, here's what you're going to do. And that's, this is the coach in me coming out after talking through it with her a little bit. I said, you're going to try one more time to have that conversation because you want them to be a part of it. You want your mom and your dad to tell you what they want, Yep. but come prepared and have a plan already written out and say, mom and dad, I love you so much and respect you so much. I want to do what's right by you. Since you're having a hard time coming with a plan, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that. But here's a plan that I came up with can you just take a look at it and see if there's any changes that you might make
1: mm-hmm.
3: that way? Then everybody is on the same page. Yep. Everybody Every, can agree.
2: And You you difference.
3: give, you give that, her, that, that mom and dad now they are in control even mm-hmm. though they don't really realize it.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And there's uh, so many different ways to um, to address this that, are ignored, because people don't like tough, you know, tough topics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't want our parents to get old, we don't want to think about the what ifs. But I always encourage people, especially, like I said, when I was in real estate, go check out communities. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of that. Know, know what they are, know what you like, know what they like, um, ahead of time, let them Mm -hmm. be part of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's more comfortable if that's needed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, in the meantime, it's kind of an outing. You know, you, you can do and right. stuff. But but get educated, and I think so often people are just, I I don't want that information because if I get that information, I'm going to need that information. Well. You might need yeah. that information, even if you don't get that
3: information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And which would be worse. Yeah. And, you know, and here's another thing that I, I really, I really work with families. Um, I I offer a free 30 minute call. A clarity call is what I call it. And that's where we really talk about the planning part and, and what changes might need to happen. And it's so interesting that typically um, the first call will be scheduled with me. hmm. And I, this is what I hear: we didn't bring mom and dad here because we don't want them to hear what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I just find that so interesting. And so we get through everything, and then I say, "This has been really good. Now let's schedule another one because I have to talk to your parents." Yep. Oh, <laughs> I said no. They're they're the clients. Mm-hmm. You're not my client. They are. Yep. And and you know it's just. Getting the whole family and the elderly couple or or person to really recognize and realize that just because we're talking about a community Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're going there to die.
0: Oh, yep. That's a a really big piece. It is a big piece.
3: And if you can get that little shift made in that thinking process. Mm, no, you're not going there to die. You're going there to live your best life. Yep. And if you can walk into that community with that kind of mindset, you're gonna, you're gonna just be blown away. You know, I'll never forget I was touring a, a community, and I make a point whenever I, I tour a community to um find somebody who's living there and ask them what they think. Mm-hmm. And I was in the elevator with this elderly couple. She was in the wheelchair, and he was pushing her. They were almost giggling. I said, "So tell me how do you how do you like living here?" And they both uh, together they said, "Oh my gosh, we've lived here six months. We had no idea life could be this good yep yeah, so it's it's just learning how." the sooner, the better, um, tweaking that mindset and tweaking, um, that, that thought process. No, you're not going there to die. You're going there to live your best life. Yeah. Well,
0: and I think so often, you know, people in their homes, sometimes they get so isolated and they, you know, they grew up, especially our, our older population. They grew up where they used to say, they're taking me out feet first. You know, I'm not going anyplace. But they have this image of the old nursing home that yes. was dark and you know stinky and you know the whole nine and that's not what anything looks like anymore at all. And I don't like again back to my real estate when I would sell somebody's home and they would move into like some form of senior housing. Half the time I couldn't get a hold of them because they were out socializing. They met new <laughs> friends. I'd have to call the housing manager to track them down to go. Hey, I got an offer. I need to meet with you (laughs) because I couldn't reach them because, you know, they, they had missed that. But when you, you know, when your routine is for so long and it's such a subtle change over time, that isolation, you don't even know you're isolated. It's Mm -hmm. just become your new normal Mm -hmm. until it's not. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's amazing. Um, when do you think it's time for someone to kind of reach out to a geriatric, uh, you know, consultant like yourself to find help?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know what, you're going to know in your gut, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just a a feeling that, that you just need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And that would be, um, I think that's the first indication. I I just need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. once, once that thought comes up in your mind, that, I wonder if things could be better. I wonder if things could be different. I mm-hmm. wonder wonder what shifts I can make.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That's when you would reach out and and to talk to a professional geriatric consultant. Because you know what? That's my job is to help you determine if you are on the right track. Yep. Or if it is time to make a change. So I'm going to go with it's time
1: mm-hmm.
3: when you know in your gut. hmm Um, you know, that it's time if, if things aren't working the way they used to, Mm -hmm. if, if your loved one is requiring too much care Mm -hmm. and if you are giving up all of your free time, maybe that's not serving you well either. Yep. You know, I, it sounds, and this is so different. It sounds kind of selfish, but, you know, and it is true. You can only take as good of care of someone else as you care for yourself. That, that is
0: really true. That is really, really true. And we don't, we don't always realize that. We're like, well, we have to. And it's like, you still need sleep. Yeah. You, you know, you still need balance because otherwise in, during the process, I mean, you're going to snap,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: when you're, when you're exhausted and, and when you're out of alignment and things. But also when the journey ends, and typically the journey is going to end, you'll be like me and you won't know who you are. I mean, people will ask you, "What? well, what do you like to do? And my answer actually was, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't done anything for me for years.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So again, don't follow in my footsteps. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so can, can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you think that if someone would have said to you, maybe it's time for a change. Do you think you would have listened or, or how, how would you have responded to my, my statement that I just made? Like when I'm saying, just listen to your gut. I don't,
0: um, I don't really know because, you know, I, I grew up in an era of this was my role. I'm supposed to take care of family from being a little girl. I mean, that was just always my role. And so I, I think I really would have needed some big coaching in terms of Lori Roll's change. And I think one of the biggest traps that people get into is making promises at one stage, right. and then things have changed and this promise haunts you. And when you made it, it was this, and now it's that, and it's okay to make a new decision to adjust that plan. Like you said, and I think if there was a way that that was talked about sooner than, than later. um, But it, but it's hard because it's a lot of times, you know, when you're caring, it's for a family member that you love and you want to do it and there's a lot of guilt. And I had some friends like, you know, you just give it up. I mean, they weren't raised, they were raised different than I was you know, my mom was there till the bitter end, come hell or high water, you know? And so I'm a little clone of her in a lot of ways. And so, uh, but again, we didn't have those conversations about options yeah, and what was available. And so I think, again, it goes back to, I think it's important for people to get educated, to realize that your best life and theirs might not be what you're living right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say, Lori, is it could be like the hardest step of <laughs> making that care plan change is saying i think i need to talk to someone yep and admitting that
0: i think we still frame it as a self defeat like i wasn't good enough i think yeah. that's the biggest hurdle and because we're not we're not doing enough up front to change that stigma of of that perception of that self-perception that so many Mm -hmm. care partners have, um, that, you know, and even like with vows, you know, um, you know, until death do us parts. And I mean, I, I hear people say that all the time, you know, this is what I committed to. I take those vows seriously, but the quality is missing. And when people do pull in the help, they that's when they realize how much their relationship had changed and how much they have missed themselves as well as who they're caring for in terms of just being able to love and support somebody you know in whatever role without having to necessarily do the tasks yeah so Um, good well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I so appreciate your time. I would uh, really encourage people to go visit Jody's website. You can go to Midwest Geriatric Consulting or you can email her at MGCS and then her name, Jody, J O D I. Last name is B E N U S A. At gmail.com. She is also available by phone at 608 519 2402 and she's located in Wisconsin
3: but you can consult with people outside of um, Wisconsin as well is that correct that is correct and thanks for bringing that up yes um i simply named it midwest geriatric consulting services because my heart is in the midwest
1: mm-hmm. i was born okay. and
3: raised on a dairy farm and i've <laughs> got that good old work ethic just in my soul and um, my my goal is to open up offices in every region. So the first office happens to be in the Midwest, but the process is the same no matter where you are. Um, I've helped folks in Texas and New Jersey and um, Iowa and Illinois. It doesn't matter where you are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Process
3: is the same. Well,
0: thank you again so much for taking time with us today. I really appreciate it. I think we had a really Wonderful conversation that's going to help a lot of people. My pleasure.
3: My pleasure. And thank you so much for having me, Lori.
0: And to our audience
3: members, please like, click and share.
0: This is a conversation we have to have. You know, we we need to talk openly. We have to help people ahead of time. It's all about shifting, you know, our our care from crisis to comfort, not only for others, but for ourselves, you know, live peacefully and um, graciously together. And there are ways to do that. There are are people that can help us like Jody. So again, thanks everybody. Have a wonderful holiday and we will talk soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay and and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia?